Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Linda Bonner. She is a personal and corporate coach, an author, a trainer, and her brand new book is called Just Three Things, Bite-Sized Ways to Transform Your Life. And in this conversation, we talk about that process of change and making it more manageable by bite-sizing the actions you need to take in order to make big, lasting changes. We spend a lot of time in this conversation talking about those inner voices that you have in your head that keep you back from doing the things that you know you need to do, the voices that attack your self-confidence that are most likely and most often your harshest inner critic, dealing with imposter syndrome, and getting a handle on your self-sabotaging. There's so much more in the book. I encourage you to click through to the show notes and check out more about the book. But in the meantime, enjoy this conversation with Linda Bonner. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Linda Bonner. Linda, welcome to the show. Yay. Thank you so much, Eric. I'm delighted to be able to chat with you today. Yes, me too. I love when... Books come my way that are short, succinct, and just simple, in other words, and relate to productivity, but, you know, have their feet squarely in multiple places, one in the kind of standard productivity world, but one in the like, hey, productivity is all about your entire life. So that's what I really, one, liked, but two, the book is called Just Three Things, which is also very cool because... Everybody's always overloaded. I mean, the show's called Beyond the To-Do List for a reason. We try to move beyond it and not just have, you know, we don't just talk about massively full to-do lists. We talk about, one, shorten that to-do list, and two, get that stuff done. But yeah, just three things, and then bite-sized ways to transform your life. What's not to like about that? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I love this already. Thank you. Yeah. So my question to you is... Where did the experience in your life come into play that it made you think, you know what, I've got to collect this into a book? You know, who have you been working with? What have you been doing that brings that necessity to create this book? What a great question to start with, Eric. And even as I hear your question, my mind is jumping back to all of these different conversations that I've had, different jobs that I've done. I was a teacher for 15 years. There was always a huge to-do list. It was never about just three things. I lived with a fantastic roommate at one point and she said, two jobs every day, Lynch. That's all we should be doing, two things. I was like, well, I think it's a little bit more than that as well. And conversations with coaching clients, that's what sparked a lot of this as well. I said to one of my coaching clients one day, you know, holding him accountable for the work that he was going to do in between our sessions. 
And I said, and what else? And what else? And he said, whoa, hang on a second. We've got five things here, Linda. I went, yes, I know. He said, I'm not doing five things. It's too many. I said, so what's appropriate? What's going to work for you? He goes through his list of things and he said, I'll do three. Three is, he goes, anyone can do three, right? And I sat back, Eric, and I thought, yes, you're right. Anyone can do three. And it's such a good number as well. It works in so many different areas and it's doable. It's manageable. It's simple. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I like to listen to a lot of comedy and it's comedy comes in threes. It's the, you know, something happens. It happens again. And then your brain is waiting for that third thing, the callback, if you will, to, to do that, you know? And so- Three is this kind of magic number, and it, it's also a great thing when it comes to, oh, if I just have to do three things today. Now, we all have more than three things to do every day, yep. but three most important things, maybe three dynamic things, three things that are going to move the needle, in other words, is what we're really talking about. Exactly. It's been really interesting using the word just in front of that three things as well. And I've really come to the defense of that word because. Some people are like, oh, get rid of it. You know, it's one of those filler words we shouldn't be really using. And especially as women, oh, I just want to talk to you about this. Instead of going into a conversation saying, no, actually, I want to talk about this. That's it. But when we put the word just in front of it, again, it makes it that bit easier, doesn't it? It's like, oh, th- I have to do these three things. It's, they're just three things. It's fine. I can do it. Well, the word just makes it feel physically emotionally, mentally, it's a reduction word. And it's only this, you can handle that. It's like you're psyching yourself into it. And we change our tone of voice when we use that word as well, I feel, exactly as you did there. It's just three things. Yeah, I I am aware of the tone that happens because sometimes, (laughs) I don't know where I heard it. It was within the last year or two, the word just needs to kind of be mm. taken out when you're telling somebody like, I'm just trying to help you. It projects, it releases me from being blamed or, you know, whatever. But in this regard, it's the perfect word. Thank you. Oh, love that. So what were some of the issues then that, I mean, we go through this, there's different sections of the book, which I love. It's, you know, I'll, I'll read them real quick, actually. Covering the basics, your relationship with yourself dealing with others, life's everyday curveballs, and when the going gets tough. Those are kind of macro sections that then there are chapters of the book that fall into of varying sizes, seven, ten, whatever, in each of those. But those are the macro level. So I assume those are kind of the overarching umbrellas that you found that you were helping people with the most. Mm, I love this as well. Everything in the book, I feel it runs parallel. These are topics or areas that I work with, I speak to people with on a daily basis. And they're things that I've either gone through myself or the things that I continue to go through. You know, hands on hearts, I'm completely a work in progress when it comes to these things as well. So I think having that experience and continuing that experience, continue having those continuous conversations with people as well is so important because these are the things that come up all the time whether it's self-awareness or self-management. And again, how do I manage myself then when I'm with others? How are my relationships with others? How am I managing life in general? It's like productivity or personally dealing with the imposter syndrome. What is it? 
Yeah. And you're, you're asking us or you're in a conversation with people around these questions that people kind of shy away from. We don't want to self-assess. I mean, we kind of do already know, oh, I'm a mess, or at least we <laughs> use that blanketed statement, right? But we feel like maybe change isn't possible. And mm. I, I also am kind of clued into the words hyphenated, bite-sized, are circled in the subtitle. But the other word that catches my eye, because it's underlined, is transform on the cover yeah. of the book. And and that's change. It's even more dramatic than the word change. Transform is like become an entire different thing entirely in a, in a, in a way. So yeah. I think, you know, w- what is your perspective there? I mean, honestly, change or major transformation is what your goal is and what you're insinuating is it only takes three things, not, oh, if I just change three small things, my whole life will be different. But it's a snowballing effect. It's the domino effect, right? Yes. Yes. And this has come back to it literally, find me. For <laughs> <So, laughs> people I've been, you lied, Linda. Your book says it's just three things. There are more than that. And I said, no, I've never said that there were just three things to creating all of the change that you want. But I love the way you described it there because it is that snowball effect. And once you start, it gets easier. One of the problems with change is that we often see it as this overwhelming, this huge thing. Transformation. No, 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 no. Our brain resists straight away. That's too much work. It's too much effort. There's a lot of fear involved. What if I don't get there? What if I fail? What will other people say? People will judge me. So when we start to break those bigger changes down into something smaller, and that's exactly what I had to do. If you speak to anyone who knew me 20 years ago, like my closest friends, they will say that I have transformed. And that could be in terms of my running. I used to run to sales. Now I run marathons. You know, I used to imbibe a lot and smoke a lot and, and things like that. And now I don't. When I look back over those 20 years, there have been huge transformations. At the time, if I said to myself, I'm going to transform my life completely. And I did actually, that was a mistake that I made originally. Huge change. I need to do it all right now. I need to be absolutely fantastic tomorrow. This is what I need to do. And that pressure of need, have to, should, must. And then I wonder why I wasn't making progress, why I was actually failing what I wanted to do. I had to create change and rein it back a little bit and think, right, where do I start? What would be a great starting point? And go from there. Yeah. I'm assuming that then it's it's not just you yourself transformed over time, but you were able to notice what were some of the key transformative pieces or hinge points for other people as you're working with them. You know, you get yeah. to know them, you work with them, you find out, oh, you know what? I think I've identified something here that if this one thing you can change it. If you can spin it from a, a negative into a positive or eliminate it or add something positive in to replace it, it can be that kind of momentum building change, micro change that leads to massive macro transformation. You should please said. I try. You should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of those common things that you've found? I mean, you mentioned, you know, drinking and smoking, and those are things that, you know, people either have a taste for or don't. It's, you know, mm. for some people, it's I eat too much or I don't exercise enough or it's it, it may be that you, you're doing something that you shouldn't be or you're not doing something you should be. What are some of the yeah. most common things? I mean, we know some of them, but. It's not always as simple and it's not always as outward or observable. Exactly. This all starts within. 
you know, our outward behavior, the things that we see, things that other people see us do. Yeah, great, fine. How do we feel about it? But one of the first things that we can do is recognize how are we thinking about it? How are we talking about it? So I'll frequently have conversations with people who'd love to create change somewhere in their lives, but they use the word hard, difficult, challenging. So by recognizing the language, even if we just start there, we become aware of what's the language that I'm using around this particular change, this task, this project. If we describe something as as hard, for example, you're ready to go, no, no way I'm doing that. Don't like that straight away. So there's resistance. But what is it actually about the task that's encouraging you not to lean into it? We use this language habitually, but perhaps it's not even hard. I'll say to my running coach, this is a really hard session to do. And say, okay, it's not easy. Easy doesn't make you run faster or longer or stronger. And it's like, but that's interesting. But these words like hard, difficult, challenging don't have to be negatives at all. There can be a lot of positives in it. When I overcome this hard thing, when I overcome this, this challenge, then I'll, I'll grow. I'll feel better about myself. I will be stronger mentally, physically, emotionally. So the language, the thought process and the language that we use around this is always a great place to start. Yeah, I've noticed that language is so powerful and it's a great source of power. It's also a great source of defeat because, I mean, if we just call ourselves, oh, I am a this, and then we label ourselves something, and then we we just believe that then moving forward, right? And so, yeah, it's self-sabotaging. That's so easy Mm. to fall into, into the pit of. And one of the things that I notice when we're talking about hard or we're talking about Mm. another word that comes to mind, impossible. Well, if we call something impossible, it's not possible. But I like the word you were using there, challenging. This workout is a challenge. This homework is a challenge. Mm. You know, I'd love to hear my kids say, instead of saying hard, I'd love to hear them say this problem is a challenge. And then that Mm. allows you to then ask the question and then say, one, the question being, Am I up to the challenge? And two, I am up to the challenge. Absolutely. It's language, right? Yes. Could you imagine then if, you know, teachers, like you described, if your children were, were talking like this as well, if teachers are using this kind of language, because this is what I started doing years ago, like here's a great challenge for you all. And you'd see, oh, great. Oh, it's a challenge. Instead of our compared to say, here's a really hard five page essay that we all have to write now. Gosh, here we go. Oh, see, I'm up for a challenge. I love a good challenge, don't we? Yeah. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity, from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and I'm intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X.com, to learn more. Other than maybe reframing or spinning the language in a different way, what are some of the other ways that as we're identifying things that we want to change and areas of transformation that we want to see, other than language, which again, let's not discount how powerful that is, what are other ways we can maybe step into self-conscious or self-confidence even, having confidence in ourselves to be able to make that change. In the same way that I said, this homework is challenging. Am I up to the challenge? Yes. So what are some ways that we can get around that inner voice that says, no, you're not up to the challenge or no, this is just hard or this is impossible? One of the things that I loved, even hearing you say that, so I noticed that your body has leaned into that, leaning into the challenge, almost like rising to that occasion. Simple, very simple things like that alone, changing our posture around how we talk about that challenge. If you were to slump forward right now and allow your shoulders to to curve in and to hang your head down, that does not fill you with confidence to overcome any kind of a challenge. If anything, it's, I don't feel energized at all. But if we sit up, shoulders back and we think, right, this is it, challenge. So my tone of voice has changed, my body posture has changed bring this challenge on, I'm ready. So again, it's how we think about it, how we talk about it, how we allow it to embody us, like how we sit with it. And then it's reminding ourselves, not then, it's not that there's only one way to do this at all. It could be that you remind yourself of all of your successes so far. We can be so quick, Eric, to eat, we're blindsided, right? Oh, I can't do this. This is impossible. I'll never get this done. Hang on a second, press pause on that. Have you thought to look back and see everything that you've accomplished so far. And I mean everything, not those huge accomplishments that perhaps you got a certificate or an award for. Those successes that meant so much to you at that time, standing up for what you believed in, voicing an opinion, having a difficult conversation that you really didn't think you'd be able to have. Those little wins, pack your bag with those wins, with those successes. Carry that backpack with you like move forward, take action. And that it makes such a difference. When we carry around these successes instead of failures, setbacks, again, it changes our body posture. 
we think confidently, we embody that confidence, we stand confidently and move confidently. I mean, I'm assuming it's more than just psyching ourselves into it. It's more, obviously, there are different ways of doing this, but one that comes to mind, and you may have other ways, it's always better to be proactive about it than to have to try and muster up remembering your successes in the middle of when you're really having a horrible time, and you're distracted, and you're behind, and you can't get stuff done, but maybe by having journaling practices in the morning and or coupling that with some meditative time or some reading that inspires you and reminds you or just reflecting on the previous day and even previous days, weeks. All of these are kinds of collective things that can be very helpful. And again, I've tried to do a lot of these things. Like you, I don't always get it right, but at least over time, it's better than it ever was before. Of course. And it's building these. So it's creating a strong foundation. So we don't have to do everything. We don't have to, you know, remind ourselves of all these things every time. When we do it gradually, consistently over a period of time, then it creates those greater, those stronger connections in our brain. So we don't have to do all the work again. But when it does come to right, I need something in this moment right now. Gosh, I have to remember all my journaling practice and my successes. And what else did she say? Well, what else is in her book? Ask yourself a better question. Catch that voice in your head. And instead of asking yourself, why am I feeling like this? Oh, what's going on? What would I need to do differently here? Also, you said voice in your head, and then immediately made me think. And sometimes it's the voice in your head that's being fed by (laughs) exterior things that you're seeing other people doing where they've seemed to have it all together. You know, the Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome, in -hmm. other words. And so... What are some ways that we can deal with that aspect of that inner voice other than language and other than just spend less time on social media? You don't need to be there as yes. as often. I mean, I grant you permission to use social media, but I ask you, set up some boundaries first, time-based boundaries and curated feed boundaries, only certain networks. This is so good. I had this fantastic friend, and when I talked to him about social media, he says, I love it, Linda. And you know why? Because every account I follow across all social media platforms adds some kind of joy to my life. It either inspires me, empowers me, or motivates me. There's not one account that I follow anymore where I think, or where I start to sink or fall into that comparison trap. And I just think that's amazing to sit there and scroll and just feel great about yourself and to See other people doing great things and think, good on you, good on me, we're brilliant. Woo woo. <laughs> I, I, sorry, I went off on a tangent. <laughs> but that's a hard place to get to oh, if yes. you're not coming into it already prepared to, to be that way, in other words, if you don't already have that perspective. So yeah. how do we, you know, one, again, do what I said, block time out so you're not constantly mm-hmm. on it. Curate the feed, make sure you're following the right people or the right you know, accounts. But even so, we're going to see people putting their best foot forward. It's their mini PR campaign for their life sometimes out in public. And we can then feel like we're, I mean, we're only seeing their highlights. Sometimes they let people in and they show some authenticity. They show some of the cracks and some do it on purpose for the sake of everybody that's following them to help them and admit, you know, I don't have it all together, but that's rare. It's rare. So very rare. But what's what's a good way to deal with that, you know, the imposter syndrome creating feedback into your own inner monologue? I love this. And I love that you mentioned the inner monologue again because I wrote it inner voice. 
for everybody out there who's only got one inner voice, fantastic. I've got, I don't know how many, I've never actually counted them all, but there is a whole committee going on in here. So <laughs> like, okay, calm down. Can everybody, one voice at a time. Regardless of what voice is showing up, because sometimes it's that inner critic, it's the imposter. Sometimes it's the, whoa, don't do that. That's scary. I love the whole concept of shed light on it. Invite that voice around. Have a conversation with it. It's almost like bring it for tea. Have coffee with it. Have a glass of wine or something stronger, whatever you want. But get it out of your head. Get it onto paper or get it right there in front of you so that you can do something with it. When we keep things in our heads, that's where they mushroom and sometimes get out of control. So allow it to show up. Shine the spotlight on it. What's your deal? What's your positive intention here for me? Because I'm a bit confused, honestly. Oh, right. And and I know how strange this can sound. I hear myself. I'm having a conversation with this imposter syndrome. It's interesting what comes up. You know, so what? You're questioning me putting a book out into the world. This isn't really helpful right now. What are you trying to do? Oh, well, you know, if you don't put that book out in the world, I just want to remind you, people won't judge you. You put that book out into the world. Anyone who reads it, people who don't can and will judge you. Do you really want that? It's like, oh gosh, yeah, that's true. Well, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's that conversation. It's understanding what's behind the voice. How is the voice showing up and how, again, how can we manage it? Because having that knowledge is power. A lot of people, they notice the voice, but they don't, they don't identify it as the voice. They, they identify it as anxiety or worry. And, and you call those two different things. I'm curious mm. for you, what's the difference between anxiety and worry? And how does that tie into this? Oh, such a good question. I think it's so important then in terms of mental health, just everyday well-being, right? When we know what we're dealing with, we can work with it a bit better. Am I worried? Am I stressed? Am I anxious? Am I sad? Am I upset? Am I excited? What is it? When we look at worry and anxiety, worry is kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, so it's, it might be a daily thing. Well, I'm worried about, I'm worried about passing my driving test. Okay. But I'm anxious about being in a car or being a passenger in general. So those worries tend to be more specific and the anxiety tends to be more general. I worry about getting there on time. I'm anxious about how I'll be judged when I show up or getting there and the traffic and the transportation and everything else. Anxiety tends to be more, more paralyzing, more debilitating. Oh, you know, what questions will Eric ask me today? And what if I say the wrong thing? And I'll answer those, you know, it's be like, well, look, deal with it if it happens. If I was really, I might be really anxious then about speaking publicly about something and that's going to hold me back. Anxiety also tends to consume us. What I mean by that is it can be in our heads and it can be in our bodies. Our heart starts to pound that bit more. We might get those sweaty pumps and we can feel it more than worry. That's not to say that everybody experiences those two things, just as I've described. It tends to be the, the more general. When we really peel back those layers of what am I experiencing right here, right now? Am I worried? Could I be anxious? And maybe it's something different altogether. Interesting. I wonder, did you have any insight on where do these beliefs, you know, they start from somewhere. Where do they come from? How do they originate? And how do we then 
change them, pivot them, especially when they're not positive. Yeah, this is so powerful. We're not born with them. I don't mean, none of us are born with these limiting beliefs of thinking I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm anxious, I'm all of these kinds of things. So they're all learned and they're learned, like you said, at a very young age. Some people in authority, from people who influences at that young age, perhaps it's parents, older siblings, teachers, people in authority that we're close with and that we spend a lot of time with. Because we pick up on everything that they're saying. So I grew up in a fantastic family and everything. And I know some of my worry does come from my mom. And that's not to disrespect my mom at all. I remember when I told her I was leaving teaching first. She said, oh, Linda, what's she going to do for money? And so that's not my fear or my worry or my concern. That's my mom's. But it triggers something in me. And so all of a sudden I'm thinking, gosh, what am I going to do for money? Have I really thought this out? Or it could be something else, a belief. Like So when I was very young, I put two and two together and got 24 million billion, whatever figure it was, in terms of I decided that when I was, when I got a particular grade at school and I got a hundred percent, I was good. If I didn't get a hundred percent, oh, Linda's bad. I'm not good enough. So it can be something as simple as that. And as we move through, you know, those later childhood years into adolescence, there's all those other things, all that kind of confirmation bias that comes together that continually confirms our belief that I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. It's not safe. You know, money's bad or any of these kind of limiting beliefs at all. And we don't stop to check them out, Eric. That's the thing. How many of us will actually pause and think, I think I should explore my beliefs around money or my beliefs around productivity or success. We don't. Who does that? I mean, if you do, brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) But I certainly didn't for years, years. I think then... Being able to identify it. Be, I mean, honestly, I if nothing else, somebody listening in on this conversation and hearing us identify this mm. at all and giving somebody one extra measure, one extra inch of self-awareness to catch themselves doing it and hopefully not feel defeated, but just noticing is the first step. And so being able to even Always. notice it is is amazing. But I wonder, most people don't notice because they're already overwhelmed or they're already feeling stressed. And so what are maybe some ways that people can step into reducing overwhelm? You know, they, they have this little inch right now from listening to us talk about this uh, of, of self-awareness when it comes to being able to identify the voices and, and areas of change that they need. But they just say to themselves – Again, here we go with language and and voices. They say to themselves, subconsciously or not, that it's just, and I'll go back to that word, it's impossible. It's impossible Mm -hmm. to make changes because I am overwhelmed. I am stressed. I have said yes to too many things. And there's an answer right there waiting to be told. But what's that answer? And then what are some of the other ways that we can start to reduce that load and then make some headway here? Gosh, this is so good. And I feel like there's so many, so many tangents <laughs> in this already, Eric. Oh, now where do I start? I think that's a great starting point. Right? So I'm overwhelmed. Get it out of your head. What are the categories? What are the things that are going on? Okay, right. So if I've got these four or five things, these are the things that I've committed to. So it's often looking at, like you said, what am I saying yes to? Where could I say no to a little bit more? 
Now, here's then where the limiting beliefs come in. Well, I have to say yes to everything. That's a limiting belief. I can't say no to that. That's another limiting belief. And instead of allowing these to pile on you, see it as information. It's just feedback. This is just information that you're gathering. Gather your information and then you can do something about it. You can start to filter through it. So if I do want to be saying no to more, what is it that stops me from doing that? Where are the opportunities to say no more? I keep bringing that down and digging a little bit deeper into it. Because if we've grown up with the belief that it's selfish to say no to people, it's not okay. You know, we have a responsibility to serve others and to do more. Explore that limiting belief, not critically, park the criticism and start driving a bit more curiosity. And another thing that we can start to do then is, or even I love this, talk about just three things. It's not always about taking on more, right, I need to start a priority list. I need to start looking at what's urgent and what's important. And I also need to do this. What could you stop doing? What's one thing you could stop doing? What's one thing you could start doing? And what's one thing you could continue to do? So perhaps I could benefit from stop saying yes to things on a Friday evening. Because by the time Friday comes around, I'm just, I'm tired. I do not want to go out. So perhaps that's something then that I need to look at. What can I start doing? Maybe there's something in my diary I can, I can rearrange. What can I continue doing? Practicing self-care. Maybe it's making time to do something else. If we just, that overwhelm will continue as long as we allow it to. It's recognizing where am I okay? Where do I start to feel overwhelmed? Where's that lying? Awareness, awareness, awareness. As we increase that awareness and we start to identify things we can stop, we might start to find we've got margin in our lives to start to turn the screws on these small changes yeah. that then build into bigger things. So what are some of those ways then that we can identify what are those small changes that are going to be the most helpful for us in terms of habits or well-being? So again, it's thinking about what are the things that I do every day? Those are all those habits, right? What is it that I want? How do the things I'm doing every day get me closer to that goal? Now, if they don't, and here's where we need to be really honest with ourselves. And sometimes we don't like to do this. We don't like to admit we're doing things wrong. Things aren't working out. It's other people's fault. I'll blame her. I'll blame him. I'll blame them and whatever else. It's all about us recognizing those things that we're doing. Maybe it's not that there's so much work. Maybe it's our, our work ethic, our attitude towards us, how we go about our, our day to day basis. Do we procrastinate? Do we allow other things to steal our time? But reel in and be really conscious of what is happening? What are your daily habits? And recognizing that, oh gosh, right, that's a habit. That's a trap that I fall into. Great. Now what do I do? Start to ask yourself, what's one thing I would have to do first in order to change that? If that seems like it's still too big, it's still too overwhelming, ask yourself that question again. So we keep chunking down, what's something I would have to do first? What's something I'd have to do first? Until you get to a step that your brain agrees with. It's something that's so simple and so easy. There's no resistance in your brain. It's like, you could definitely do that. We can do that. That's good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, gosh. I probably shouldn't go there. But uh, <laughs> there, there's been dialogue in my house when it comes to my family. My daughter, you know, we can ask her, so what do you think about that? I don't know. Maybe, you know, her response is like, it's non-committal. It's, I don't want to, I'm holding back. I don't want to tell you what I'm really thinking or feeling. And what I've kind of discovered is almost like what you were just saying is pairing it back Mm. and down into what's the easiest possible step is I'll kind of walk her through something, you know, scenario wise and get to the point where it's obvious. It's a yes or a no. What's your gut say? You know, is it yes or is it no? And I, I, you know, I'll walk her through it and like, so do you agree with that? It's a yes or a no. It's not a, Mm. there's no maybe about it. And then she says, maybe I'm like, without thinking about it, just like, do you agree with that? Just give your yes or your no. And by getting that practice of answering, she's getting better at then starting to come back and do the more complex stuff. And in other words, it's the building up of the muscle of doing the smallest thing possible that then allows you to jump into. Now, we may never fully get to the place where it's like, well, there's this is like a five deep thing. And I can do the very, you know, the very deepest thing, the easiest, easiest thing. But being a productivity person, that is kind of how we work on these projects in general, but of ourselves specifically, mm-hmm. is start that small journey. So I think this is brilliant for a number of different reasons as well, Eric, because what I see you doing in having that conversation with your daughter is encouraging her to trust herself as well mm. and to make a decision and perhaps get it wrong. Because that's, gosh, that's fearful, right? That's what holds a lot of us back from creating change or from making those big decisions as well. What if I get it wrong? And what if I get it wrong, not just for me, but it impacts other people? What's the impact of that? Again, are they going to judge me? Will they think that I'm I'm not capable of getting something right? And so even at a young age, a lot of us can learn, it's not okay to get things wrong. But I love just facilitating or fostering that what is it that you'd love to do? It is a yes or a no. And if it doesn't work out, we'll do something different. Yeah, that's great. We've spent a lot of time here. I think as I'm looking at these sections of the book, I can see that the relationship with yourself section is is very covered right now in this conversation. <laughs> and, and that's totally okay. What that means is, is that there's four other sections of the book other than the one we've, and believe me, we didn't fully cover it. We've mainly stayed there though, but there's Mm. so much more. There's covering the basics. There's dealing with others, which we've maybe touched on a little bit. Life's everyday curveballs. I mean, that's where most of us find ourselves is we, we make a plan and then life and the world says otherwise. And that also kind of ties into when the going gets tough. So, Mm. so disclaimer, there's so much more to the book. And I want people to actually know that while they hear us talking, because it's not just about all this internal stuff, although this is so great. In fact, I mean, I could have you come back and talk about four other times. Let's just go on each topic. (laughs) But I want people to hear that out loud to say, oh, so there's so much more to the book. And I'd love to actually direct people to where I'm going to link it up in the show notes for the episode. But I also want to make sure to point people specifically where is best for them to find out more about you and the work you're doing, but also dig into the book a little bit more. They can dig into those other sections without having to like pick it up if they don't have a definitive yes for it yet. <laughs> I love that. A definitive yes. A positive no. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's great. Visit my website, lindabonner.com. Connect to me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm across all different social media platforms. Send me an email. I'm at lind at lindabonnercoaching.com as well. Just few things available on Amazon and 
other fabulous online bookstores as well. And question, you know, this is what I really want people to do, Eric, you know, throughout the book, as you know, this, those, those questions for reflective time, reflective practice, for journaling and all that. Question it. You know, what do you want to get out of this book? What would you love to get from it? What's the, the purpose of investing in this? Is this part of your personal growth journey? What topics would you love to learn more about? Yeah. I love questions. Yeah. Good well, questions. I like asking them. So the, I think that makes a really good conversation here. So Linda, so glad we got to talk. And again, I'll link up to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here and keep me posted on when you have new stuff coming out because I'd love to have you back. Oh, Eric, thank you so much. Gosh, what a great conversation to have. I feel like I'm going to be just do more now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Linda Bonner. I think as you can tell, I really enjoyed talking with her. And I think that this book is really helpful to get inside your head and take action in the smallest of ways that will domino effect into larger, lasting, transformational change in your life. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you do me the favor of sharing it with somebody that you know needs to hear it? Think of that person and click the share button in your podcast player app of choice to share this with that person. Thank you for those of you who do that. It really makes a difference and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next episode.